morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Savior. That uh, first song we sung, Fill My Cup, Lord, uh, that was sung over and over and over again in the revival uh, that I was saved in back in the early 70s. I mean, that was like one of the, the, the main songs that were sung there. Never the chorus, never the, the the verses, just the chorus. So, I mean, it was years and years and years. I never knew there was any verses to the song, you know. But it was that hunger at a time of a move of God where we just were crying out, fill our cup, fill our cup, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Father, we come before you now in the precious name of Jesus. And, Lord, as we look at your word, we ask that you give us understanding. Speak to us, sweet Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody here that is not right with you, we pray you call them home. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Actually, what I'm going to share with you this morning, I can say I really don't know what I'm talking about. That give you some good confidence? I've been in the faith for 48 years, or almost 48 years. And uh, I should know what I'm going to be speaking much better than I do. That's just the fact of it, okay? But I can tell you that I'm at a, at a point in my life right now that what I'm sharing is something that's starting to really burden me, something that's really pressing upon my own heart, a cry that I really want to see in my own life. And uh, as I have been doing this, as I've been crying out to God about this, um, it has been actually good and painful, both, you know, because I'm having to deal with more of me than what I saw before. And uh, what I want to look at is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And so turn there with your Bibles. You got them, use them. Okay? So I specifically asked for them not to be put up on the screen. So you have to open your Bibles, or if you brought your, your, your phone, you can use your, your phone, but uh, it's good to know the Word of God, okay? Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, this is some very important teaching in the Word of God that I think we read, and we kind of just kind of gloss over and don't really pay attention to what's really going on here. But there is within this a command. And whatever God commands, He will empower us to live out. So God is not calling us to live by the Spirit and not give us the grace to live by the Spirit. And He says if you want to overcome the flesh, there's only one way to ultimately overcome the flesh is to live by the Spirit. Now, Pastor Jeff doesn't know what I was going to preach this morning. He had no idea. So here he is talking about the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. So you're going to get your fill of it this morning. But you've got to understand something that's very important with this. You see, God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the mass portion of the church rejects the Holy Spirit. Kind of like pushes them aside, say, well, you be the silent individual, the silent one of the Trinity, because we really don't want your intervention. We'll look at the Father and the Son, but ignore the Spirit. But we can't. 
Because there's one God that has revealed himself as Father, Son, and the Spirit. And if we deny the work of the Spirit, then you know what that means? Everything we know about the Father and the Son has come through the Spirit. Everything. Because without the Spirit, there is no illumination. There is no revelation to us. There is no ability to comprehend even what the Word of God is teaching. And so the importance of this is more than we can comprehend. A early Pentecostal, a man that uh, saw the dead raised to life and the blind see and the lame walk, his name was Smith Wigglesworth, and he says, I see everything as a failure except what is done in the Spirit. But as you live in the Spirit, you move, act, eat, drink, and do everything to the glory of God. What an interesting idea. Here's a man who understood what it was to walk in the Spirit. He strove to live that out. And so what is being given here by Paul is that we are either going to do one of two things. We're either going to live according to the Spirit or we're going to live according to the flesh. Now some of your Bibles will say instead of live, it will say walk. And both words are proper and good But the idea is really this thing that is a constant in our life, that is to be as a pilgrim that is traveling from one place where he lives to the celestial city. And his whole journey, his life is a journey. He's in this whole process. He is living this out. He's walking this out on a daily basis. This is not something that's done occasionally or or once in a while, but something that is to be lived on a constant basis. And so we are either living by the Spirit or by the sinful nature. So, we like pie charts. If you made a pie chart of your life, how much of the pie chart would be of your day walking in the Spirit and of walking in the flesh? I mean, that's kind of a scary thought. I mean, because if we really start getting down to nitty-gritty, how much of our daily life is about us and doing what we want, the way we want to, our own agenda... And when you begin to look at it, the works of the flesh that come out of the flesh life are because we're not walking in the Spirit. That's how important this is. That the works of the flesh come out of us because we're not walking in the Spirit. And if we were walking in the Spirit, we wouldn't be living out the lust of the flesh in one form or another. But you know, the challenge we have is that we can have one moment where we're walking in the Spirit and almost the next in the flesh. All right, that's, that's the challenge we have. But what really has to go on is he wants more and more of our life being controlled by the Spirit and less and less by the flesh. And he wouldn't give us the command to do it if he wasn't going to give us the power to accomplish it. So we have to understand he's calling us to something more. So we have this, this I don't know how to call it, this story in Scripture that is a comfort and sad at the same time. So, it's in Matthew chapter 16. You have to turn there. I'm just going to kind of run through this just to give a feel. But uh, Jesus goes to the disciples after they're gathered around a fire, after a busy day of ministry, and talking about all that was going on. And, and I don't doubt they're having a, a jolly old time together in this, in this setting. And, and uh, then Jesus kind of just uh, upsets everything and didn't understand. They didn't understand in the beginning what was going on, but Jesus... Who do people say that I am? And there again, their father's saying, some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of the prophets or whatever. You know, all the things that are going out and the way that they're 
They're just having an enjoyable time with each other. And then Jesus always has to make this personal. What about you? Who do you say I am? Now you get in trouble. Because now they're put on the spot. They have to decide what they really believe about Jesus. Now Peter rises up. And uh, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, that's great. That's right. And what does Jesus say? Blessed are you, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. He was in the Spirit receiving revelation of who Jesus was. And he was able to communicate that. But now Jesus turns this all upside down again. He flips it all up. And it tells us that from that time on, Jesus began to explain to them that he was going to be crucified. All right, so before that, he wasn't sharing it. Now it's time. It's nearing the time where he's going to be offered up. And now he's preparing them. He's beginning to lay this all out so that when this all takes place, they can look at it and say, Jesus knew what he was doing. Everything was planned. This was something God was doing so that mankind could come to salvation. But what does Peter do? So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Well, that's a rather arrogant thing. Okay, I'd say that's rather arrogant. Now, of course... Peter understood you are the Christ, but he didn't understand the divinity aspect. There was all kinds of things that Jesus had been doing to show his divinity, but yet this was a hard thing, and I understand a hard thing for them to come to grips with until his resurrection. Then his resurrection would really help them begin to grab hold of the reality of his divinity. But Peter took him aside and rebuked him, rebuked the teacher that had never, ever, ever once done anything wrong. You understand there was no error in Jesus. And he rebuked him. Well, arrogant Peter. He said, Lord, this will never happen to you. What did Jesus do? He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. I'm not going to take the time to try and get into all that and what's that saying, but can you see here one moment... He's saying, you are the Christ. And the next moment, he is now operating in the flesh. And Satan is ultimately using him in that setting to speak a lie to try and cause Jesus to stumble. Disturbing. In the spirit and in the flesh. You know, I'm tired of being in the flesh. You know, I, I am. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of me. And I want to become a man that is walking more and more in the Spirit. But this will never, ever, ever happen by time and chance. That's why we do not mature in this. Because it must be a purposeful effort, something that we begin to do, that we become conscious of, that we are crying out to God for the grace to do it. And we are willing to allow Him to begin to show us the things in our life that need to be dealt with so that we can be transformed. That we have to want to do it. And you know, the more I ask God to show me, the more I ask Him to teach me how to walk in the Spirit, the more I see when I'm not walking in the Spirit. And it's disturbing how you see in your life these little patterns that get that go on in your life and these little triggers, in essence, that bring out the flesh. And you go, man, this happens so much, it's so easy. Instead of understanding that there's this place that God wants to bring us where we have a consistent walk, the consistent relationship with Him because we are beginning to walk in the Spirit. And in that place of walking in the Spirit, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Now you can have all kinds of people out there that talk about all the supposed gifts that they have, 
But what we really have to get down to, the nitty-gritty, is what kind of man or woman are they? And what's going to prove what kind of man or woman they are is the fruit of the Spirit, not the gifts of the Spirit. And so they can talk about all the dreams and visions and all the words they're getting and how they're led from here and led from there, but where's the fruit of the Spirit? And if they're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit to any great extent, they are deceived in all the supposed things they claim about themselves. And so this is so foundational to the Christian faith that I believe it has been one of the reasons why the devil really wants us to not understand this truth because I believe the power of Pentecost comes the more we begin to operate in the Spirit on a constant basis so that when the need is there, we can rise up and the anointing can truly rest on us in that need. So God made a way for us to overcome the flesh. So I want you to think about this in your own life. How much is the struggle in your life over the flesh? The remedy is right there. It's right there. We were just told it. Very simple. Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's just that simple. Now within all that, we're going to look at some dy- dynamics of it. And it has to do with the aspect of, yes, the crucified life. But you know what I've seen so much? Is that we can come to the place and speak of the crucified life and go no further than that to the work of the Holy Spirit. Go that far. Okay, i got to die. i got to die. But yet we don't understand that there is the life in the Spirit that we are called to. We die to self that we might live in the Spirit and operate in the Spirit and move by the Spirit and let the Spirit of God flow through us to touch other lives. And so God has made a way for us to overcome the flesh. By faith, we have to believe that this is God's will for our life. And if you will not by faith believe that this is God's will for your life to walk in the Spirit, then you will never do it because you'll never have the faith to believe that God is able to change you and you will never put forth the effort that you might begin to operate in that way greater and greater and greater. So you have to believe. You have to believe the promise of God. You have to believe this promise is for you. And if you'll not own it, then you'll never see its reality. And so we are to... Live by the Spirit through the power of the Spirit. Through grace. Right? Grace. He will empower us to do what we need to do that we could live in a way we cannot live. If what we are living, anybody else can live, then where's the value of the Christian life? Now say, what makes us any different than anybody else out there? If we can just be like everybody else, then we cannot give to the world a remedy to what the world is. We have to demonstrate that there is something so superior to the Christian faith, not with words, not with the arguments theologically, but with the reality of lives that are demonstrating that we are living a way that others cannot live because we're doing it not through our own wisdom and strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be able to demonstrate this. People need to look at us and say, why is it you can go through pain like you're going through And you can have joy in the midst of it. Right? There needs to be something so radically different in us. And it doesn't come through the natural. It comes through the supernatural. Now let's look at some definitions here. I already touched a little bit on it, but that word live in the Greek means to walk or to live. It relates to character, to who we are, to what we are doing, and the movement of our life in a particular direction. And so to live by the Spirit comes supernaturally, not naturally. If it, come, if it can come naturally, then Jesus died on the cross in vain, 
and the Holy Spirit came in vain because we really didn't need Him then. But if it's something that is supernatural, then it can only come through God and only can come through dependency upon God. As we look to Him and we cry out to Him and we see what He's calling us to be and to do and we cry out for the grace to live that out, knowing that it is the Spirit of God that is going to be working that in us. And so we're to live under the influence and rule of the Holy Spirit. Now I think that's an important thing because sanctification, how does sanctification happen? Who does it come through? The Holy Spirit. And you understand what is sanctification? It's the process where we are being purified of our self-life, where we're becoming more and more like Christ. We're being separated more and more, not just in, in, in who we are as an individual, but in our heart and our mind and all of our actions, everything about us becoming more and more Christ-like. It's the path to Christ-likeness. So how do we become Christ-like? It becomes, comes through the Holy Spirit. It comes through the work of the Spirit. Now, if I deny the work of the Spirit, you know what I'm doing? I am denying the very thing I need to become more like Jesus. I'm, de I'm denying the very helper that is to come alongside of me to empower me to be a man of God. I'm denying it. And so, how am I going to mature in Christ if I do not understand the work of the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit is all about? Now, the interesting thing is when you look at the Trinity... It is not tritheism, okay? Tritheism is, uh, is a, uh, uh, a heretical view that believes in three different gods. We don't believe in three different gods. We believe in one God that has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there is this divine mystery to it that is beyond anything we can even fathom. We don't know how it works, but yet you can see the, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have their, their unique way of ministering to mankind and doing this work of salvation in us, and then we also see where they are overlapping, and, and, and it's all one, just like with creation. Creation came, the Word of God teaches it came through the Father, it came through the Son. It came through the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, of course, it comes through one, it comes through them all. Because it's one God, not three gods. One God. So if we embrace the reality that Jesus is our Savior, we have to also embrace the reality that the Father sent the Son and the Son sent the Spirit. And that the Spirit is now among us to help us to know the Son and walk with the Son that we might walk in fellowship with the Father. Right? Isn't that basically how it works? Now thwart it. Throw a monkey wrench in the whole thing. Remove the Holy Spirit from the whole picture. What are you left with? You don't understand then the power that can be operating in your life and helping you to overcome. Some of you are in a constant state of the same issues over and over and over and over. Maybe year after year after year. The same struggles. You can go and somebody can come up and say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm terrible. Well, you were terrible last week. You were terrible last year. And when's this chain, when's this cycle going to be broke? You know, when's there going to be finally a place where you can talk about victory, where you're living as an overcomer in this world? You see, here it is. Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, does that mean there's not a battle? There's a more, there'll be more of a battle than you ever had in your life. Because as you begin to want to walk in the Spirit, the Spirit is now going to, because you are welcoming his intervention, because you're welcoming Him to come into your life in a deeper way and reveal to you what is needed, you'll begin to see when you are in the flesh more than you have ever seen before. And guess what? There's more there than He can tell you right now because you're not ready for it. But He'll begin. You understand? He'll begin 
He'll start showing you where words that come out of you, thoughts. You know, I am now trying to get control of my thought life like I've never tried to get control of my thought life before. And why? Because I want to be pleasing to Jesus. And because I want to not grieve the Holy Spirit. And if I give over to the flesh in my thought life, I've grieved the Holy Spirit. So that means I have to begin to bring my thoughts under captivity. So the temptation is still going to be there. The devil's going to still sit on your shoulder and whisper in your ear and try and get you to be bitter or lustful or angry or whatever it is. Those will still be there. But now there's something different that rises up. There's this desire to say, no, I'm not going to give in to you. You silence the voice. How do you silence it? Well, there's a lot of ways. I'll touch on that maybe if we get to that point. But a lot of it has to do with... uh, putting our mind and thoughts in the right place through worship and praise and the Word of God and through thankfulness. And so this place of being led by the Spirit is a, is a place of constant abiding in Christ. That's basically what this is all about, abiding in Christ. Jesus said it one way in the Gospel of John. Now we're being told it in another way through, through Paul and, and the idea of walking in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit We must be ruled by the Spirit, not ruled by our rational minds, not ruled by our emotions, not ruled by our failures, but ruled by the Spirit. We start letting Him to bring some order to the chaos inside of us, just like He did in creation, right? Now, here's where it gets the challenging part. You see, this is all-consuming. Jesus isn't out to be an addition to your life. The Spirit's not out to be a little part of your life. This is all-consuming. You want to be a man or woman of the Holy Spirit? Being led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, operating in the Spirit? This is all-consuming. It's not a part-time thing. It's not an occasional thing. You have to want to have Him in every portion of your life, to deal with every area of your life, to expose whatever is wrong in your life, to build up what is necessary in your life, to strengthen you. You have to want that. You have to invite the rule of the Spirit in your life. You have to invite Him to the place say, Come on, Holy Spirit, define me. Lead me. Guide me. Correct me. And so this is total abandonment. But it's total abandonment. When you look at this, it's the total abandonment that gives freedom. Right? You abandon yourself to sin before you ever came to Christ. What did that bring you? Bondage. Pain. Misery. Well, we come to Christ, okay? We've made that transition. We have come into salvation, but we're still having all the baggage of our life, still the baggage of the self-life. And so the work of the Spirit there is to deliver us more and more from the bondage of the self-life that we might walk in greater freedom and power. And it's in that greater freedom in Christ that we start really operating in greater power in Christ. And so that's really where the Spirit's wanting to take us, in the place that we can become more like Jesus and have His power made manifest in us in a real and tangible way. You know, the only way that we can live the first and greatest commandment is to walk in the Spirit. It's the only way. There's no other way. It can't be done. You understand, if I'm not walking in the Spirit, I am not pleasing the Spirit. I'm not pleasing God. I'm not walking in the place of loving Him like I should. I'm not saying I'm not loving Him, but my love might be very small for Him. 
but I'm not loving him like I should. If I'm going to love him like I should, I must allow the rule of the Spirit in my life to define my life, to show me how to live this wor- in this world and how to live victorious over it, not enslaved to it. But to live according to the flesh comes easy, comes natural. You don't have to even try. It just comes out of us. It's just what we are without God. And as we give ourselves over to the flesh life, you know how it goes. It gets worse and worse and worse. It spirals you down more and more and more. Then what does that produce? More pain, more misery. All that the self-life, all that the flesh produces is destruction, is death, is misery, is sorrow. This is living according to our sinful nature, our sinful desires, and our sinful base animal appetites. Being driven by that, defined by that. I know you know what I'm talking about, because if you're a true Christian, there was a time you weren't a true Christian, and there was a time that you lived for your animal appetites. You lived for your own self. It was all about you, and the misery that came out of that defined you, even though you tried to lie and say you were having a good time. flesh life is all about self-rule. It's all about self-indulgence. It's all about me. It's about the happy life. Right? The happy life. I want to be happy. I'm not happy with you, so I'm going to go and find me another woman, another man that will make me happy. I'll find something else. I need another job. I need more money. Something always to make us happy because we're always looking into the fleshly world, into the natural world, looking for something there to satisfy what can never satisfy And so we can do that as Christians, still always looking for it. I'll be happy when I get a wife. I'll be happy when I get a husband. I'll be happy when I get this or that. And it's just, it's just not true. It's just not true. It's impossible to live out the first commandment and the second commandment operating in the flesh. It's impossible. There's no way we can love God supremely by living out the according to the flesh, living according to our fleshly appetites. Because everything according to the fleshly appetites and, the, and of the whole flesh life is contrary to God, is hostile to God, is at war with God. So how can we be at war with God and love Him at the same time? You see, the flesh, living according to the flesh, demands total abandonment, right? Think of it in your own sin. You are abandoned in your sin. Now we come to Christ and we, oh, don't get too radical on me. You know, it's a, ha, I don't want to give that much. Well, you gave more than that to the world, to, to your own sin, life of sin. And now you come to Christ and we want to hold back. And, well, that's too fanatical. Well, I guarantee you sin demands total abandonment and hell does as well. It demands everything. The sinful nature produces slavery. Slavery to sin, slavery to the passions and lusts of the flesh, misery, sorrow, that's all it can produce. The flesh life can only give what the flesh life can give, which is death. That's it. So if you are feeding the flesh life, don't be shocked when what comes out of you is very ugly. Right? I mean, it's just the way it is. So if we want to be free from that, there's only one way to do it. We have to begin to walk in the Spirit. Now, there are principles we'll touch on and, and so on about walking in the Spirit, but it must become the agenda, the purpose, the desire of our life. Galatians chapter 5, in verse 17, Paul says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. 
they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. He's bringing out the literal war that can battle within us. This is the battle that goes inside of us. But yes, it's a battle that's going on in the world as well. But this battle inside of us is this desire of God that, and this desire of self that is warring against each other. And either we're going to go and say, God, I am going to choose to allow you to rule and reign in my life. Or I'm going to have this constant thing in me of, of this sinful desire and all these things reaping havoc on me on a nonstop basis. And so they're at war with each other. Then in verse 19, he brings out this interesting statement. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Well, were the acts of the sinful nature obvious to you when you were in your sin? Why? You were taken captive by the devil. You were consumed with them. That's all you could see. That's what you lived for. So you could not see what was obvious, though other peoples could see what was obvious. What did it take to begin to see the acts of the sinful nature? It took a revelation of the Holy Spirit starting to break into your personal world, right? Beginning to show you what you once loved was evil. And what you loved in this world and of, of, the, of a life of sin brought you pain and misery and sorrow. It took something outside of you coming to you, bringing this revelation, this knowledge that you might understand what is really, truly evil. Now, guess what happens? The more you want Christ, the more you want to walk in the Spirit, the more the acts of the sinful nature are going to be obvious. But who are they going to be obvious in? Not your spouse. <laughs> right? They're going to be obvious in you. If you can point them all out and everybody else, that means you haven't looked at yourself. You haven't let the acts of the sinful nature become obvious to you that you might go to Christ and begin to cry out for mercy and forgiveness and then say, Holy Spirit, I need to learn how to walk in the Spirit so I'm not gratifying the lust of my sinful nature. And so they need to be obvious to us. And that's good. God is good to show us the obvious reality of the works of the flesh in our life because he's giving us opportunity. With every exposure of the works of the flesh in our life is the hope that God is saying to us, there's victory, child. I'm not showing this to you just to beat you up. I'm not showing you this just so you wallow in, the, in, in your place and in the misery that, of your life. I'm showing you this that you might overcome. And so with every bit of conviction is always the hope of victory. Then in the second half, I just read you the first half of verse 19, but in the second half of verse 19, on to verse 21, he lists the sins, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, and so on. And then he ends with saying, I, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not going to take time to go through the works of the flesh, because those are just some of them. Right? Paul brings out other works in other places, and so do the other authors. So, you know, you could take them all, and you could make this big, huge pile, mountain of all these expressions of sin in our life, but it still doesn't mean we're going to overcome. We have to have this desire for victory because we want to be pleasing to Christ, because we don't want to keep grieving the Holy Spirit, because we want to walk in the Spirit, because we have found this to be so, so beautiful, so wonderful, such a joy to bring pleasure to the heart of God. Because you see, that's what it does. Walking in the Spirit brings pleasure to God. And to me, that's an astounding idea that I could ever bring pleasure to Him. I don't comprehend it. 
But yet, it's the reality of it. He's pleased when we walk like Him. He's pleased when it becomes our agenda to please Him. You understand? Not just, not just Sunday morning. I'm going to please you going to church. And he says, for the rest of your life is a mess. You're not pleasing me, child. You're not pleasing me because you're going to church. You understand? He's, he's wanting us to live a life in the Spirit. That our life might become something that's pleasing to Him. Then in verses 22 and 23, Paul wrote, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, this is what he's going to show you. If you want to walk in the Spirit, he's going to show you every time you're not walking in love. You're not walking in peace. You're not walking in joy. You're not walking in patience. You're not walking in kindness. You know where you're going to see that most? In your marriage, for those of you that are married. You will see it. In, you'll see the works of the flesh in your own life. If you're crying out, God, help me to walk in the Spirit, He's going to begin to show you those things. He's going to show you where you fail in love, show you where you fail in kindness, and all the other expressions. You'll begin to see it. Your spouse may not see it, or your spouse may see it. But one way or the other, God is starting to get through to bring the revelation of what He's calling you to be and where you're failing, and that the only remedy to overcoming is Jesus and the work of the Spirit in our life. Right? So he wants us. Now, when you look at when you look at, at marriage, and I just want to be honest here, you know, for those of you that are married, you know the problems in your marriage? One hundred percent the works of the flesh. Say, just that's what it is. Alright? Get rid of the works of the flesh, you'll have an, a, an absolutely phenomenal marriage. Until you get rid of the works of the flesh. You're going to have all these areas of struggles and nightmares and, you know, you're going, it's her fault, it's his fault, or whatever. You're just not dealing with the reality of, of the problems in your own heart and in your own mind, in your own life, that you need to deal with it. And so he confronts us if we're willing. He'll deal with these things if we're, if we're willing to call out and, and say, God, help me to walk in the Spirit. Help me to understand what this is because I don't comprehend how to overcome these emotions I have against my spouse or against this person or that person or this situation. That we have to go to Him and begin to say, God, help me to walk in the Spirit that I might bear the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? It didn't say the fruit of Jesus. Now, of course, we know it is. All right? It's Christ's likeness. I'm not trying to make distinctions here. But you see, the importance of the Spirit is trying to be emphasized here. You want the fruit of the Spirit. You have to understand the Spirit. You have to court the Spirit. You have to want to walk in the Spirit. You have to learn the ways of the Spirit. You have to begin to say, God, I want to walk like that. It must become the purposeful agenda of your life. Not an addition to your life. It must become the purposeful agenda of your life to want to live in that place. But you know what? I'll just be honest with you. The majority of Christians don't want to hear what I'm saying. They don't want that kind of commitment. They don't want that kind of life. They don't want, they want victory without a cost. They want resurrection without death. It just doesn't work like that. So what is the way of victory? How do we overcome? All right, let's go back to verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Well, apart from living by the Spirit, what are we doing? One way or the other, we are gratifying, understand, gratifying the desires of our sinful nature. 
whatever expression of gratification that's taking, that's what it is. We are, we are allowing the flesh to rule. That will never produce good. That's what brings about divorces. That, that's what brings about separation between brethren. I mean, it's, you look at every expression of sin that, that works in the church, it's right here. The, the reason is, is they're gratifying the desires of the sinful nature. They're not gratifying the desires of the Holy Spirit. They're gratifying the desires of their flesh. And until that's dealt with, those divisions, those things will never be dealt with. And so the only way to overcome our sinful desires is by submitting to the influences and rule of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now this is not negating the reality of the cross. It's not downplaying it. It's actually doing the exact opposite. Because when we look at the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus went and was teaching his disciples that the Holy Spirit would come to what? Glorify Christ. So the more we are allowing him to work in our life, the more Christ is being glorified in us and through us. You see, there's no division. There's no competition within the Trinity. And so as we allow room for the Holy Spirit and His Lordship in our life, we are allowing the rule of Christ in our life, and we are bowing to the Heavenly Father in adoration. And so the only way to overcome is by submitting to the influences and rule of the Holy Spirit. Now that's interesting. The influences of the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? God is a person, right? And we are created in His image and given personhood. For what purpose? So that we could communicate, so we could fellowship, so we could have a real relationship. So the person of God wanting a relationship with people that have personhood. Now, through the fall, that personhood was so twisted and so distorted. What is Christianity all about? It's about restoring what the fall produced. For what agenda? That we might walk with Christ, that we might walk in a place of victory, that we might walk in a place of fellowship, which is what we are created for. And so we must learn and want to live by the Spirit. Like I said earlier, it's not going to happen by time and chance. Unless you become purposeful in this, you'll just keep doing the same thing you're doing. And guess what? A year from now, you'll still be doing the same things. And five years from now, if the Lord tarries, you'll still be doing the same things. Because there was never an agenda in your life to say, I want to go beyond. Now, here's the difficulty. Is if you begin to become an individual that says, I want to walk in the Spirit. And you start learning how to walk in the Spirit. And you start growing in walking in the Spirit. You can never stop then. Because the stop will take you back a long ways. You understand? You get on that journey. You can't stop or you're going to go backwards. And you'll go backwards very quick. I guarantee you. You just don't have to, you, you stop being mindful of the works of the flesh in your life and they're going to come back to haunt you like a nightmare. That's all it takes. You see, that's, that's our default. The flesh life is our default. That's what we go to very easy. But if we start progressing in this phase, if we start growing and walking in the Spirit, we've got to guard that. We've got we to gotta become so mindful of it and love that place of fellowship, of deeper fellowship with Christ. We have to want it, that we guard it, we protect it, that we let nothing get in the way to stop it. That becomes very important. And you know what's going to happen? I guarantee you, it's right at that point that the devil's going to be coming at you. It's right at that point, somehow to get you distracted, somehow to get you away from it. Because spirit-filled believers, not just be where the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
I, I, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost the second day of my salvation. I'm not going to go through the story now, maybe Friday. But I, would, I don't want to live without it. But all you've got to do is, is begin to neglect what God has given you, and you go backwards. And that backwards fall can sometimes become very quick. We've got to be mindful. We've got to want to watch. And so it must become the consuming desire of our heart. A consuming desire. A defining desire. I'm not talking about something here that is just like, well, if I can walk in the Spirit, okay. I'm talking about the desire to say, God, I want to start walking in the Spirit more and more. I want to learn how to operate in that way. I want to learn how to walk in victory in that way, in surrender and abandonment to you as, as the Word of God reveals. I want that kind of life. And if you don't make it a purposeful goal of your life, it's not going to happen. And so we need to become lovers of the Holy Spirit. I remember... I was pastoring out in California, very, very hard pastor. We even knew when we took the church, before we even said yes to taking the church, we sat down with each other, we're talking, he says, this is the Titanic. You know, this is the Titanic. We knew it was sinking, we knew. And the ability to try and rescue this church was like, okay, we're putting ourselves into a mess, and I don't know, you don't know if you're going to survive type of thing, you know. And so after just battle after battle, just a hard, hard time, we ended up resigning and felt released to go back into the field as evangelists. I remember we were traveling. We had bought a truck, and I think we were both traveling. And uh, I had some music on, and this one song, I can't remember off the top of my head what it is, but it had this one little phrase where this woman was saying, We miss you, Jesus. I just began to just driving down that road, just crying. I miss you, Jesus. I miss you. Because the battle was so hard. So hard. And they didn't allow the Spirit of God to move in that church. Well, I tried to bring them into the work of the Spirit. Supposed Pentecostal church that had no Pentecostals. You see, our heart has to ache for Him. Yearn for Him. Want His nearness. Want His presence. Want Him more than life so that everything in our life is being defined by a pure and holy desire for Him. We need to be lovers of the Holy Spirit, not like whole portions of the church that I don't want to go so far to say they're haters of the Holy Spirit, but they don't want Him around. You know, well, guess what? He is kind of messy, all right? He can shake people and, and produce tears and snot running down your face. And I mean, He can do all kinds of stuff, you know? I mean, it's like... But it's good stuff. I would rather take a little bit of wildfire than to have no fire at all. Because you can manage wildfire. But if there's no fire, you're just plain dead. We desperately need to be filled with the Spirit as followers of Jesus. We desperately need this. He didn't give this to us because He says, well, this would be nice for you if you want it. If, if you make your mind up, this would be okay. He gave it because he said, this is what you need. I don't know how we ever got to the place that we thought in a, an option. But yet this, this is all about desire. He's not going to force upon us what we end up saying, I don't want. I don't, I don't want that kind of relationship. I don't want to go that deep. I don't want that influence in my life like that. And he will allow you to go that way. But for those who start hungering, those who start thirsting, 
there's going to be something rise up. There's going to be a longing for his nearness. And with that is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we must become mindful of our need. Until we're mindful of our need, we're not going to cry out for it. You did not cry out for salvation until you came and became mindful of your need. When you became mindful of your need of salvation, then something started to change. But there was a whole process that you were still fighting and resisting what you knew you needed. Until eventually the patience of God broke through and you finally said, yes, maybe in a very feeble attempt. But you said yes, and things started to change. But you see, now we're to be maturing. We're to be growing up in the faith. We should be more mindful, willfully mindful of our neediness. Why? Because we want Him. Because we want to become more like Him. Because we want the life of the Spirit operating and working through us. This should be the desire of every Christian. I'm not sharing with you something that is extreme. It's only extreme because the church is so subnormal. This wasn't extreme in the book of Acts. Pastor Jeff did a good job bringing that stuff out. It wasn't extreme then, but it certainly is now because we've moved so far away. And so we must become quick to respond to the Spirit's influence. When he says stop, what do you do? You stop. When he says go, what do you do? You go. When he says repent, what do you do? You repent. Not a day later, a week later, a month later. Because that is where it's going to begin. All right? That's really where it's going to begin. Learning the voice of the Spirit. Understanding His influence is going to begin there at the place of repentance where He starts convicting us and we start learning how to respond quickly. And as we begin to learn the voice of God, it will start taking other ways as He's teaching us His heavenly language, teaching us to understand what He is wanting of our lives. And so, He's wanting us to be led by Him because He knows that that is absolutely the best life that a human being could ever live. He's not doing it to try and make our life miserable. He's saying this is the best life that you can have in this fallen world. And what you are given, you are given through the Spirit. The Spirit is told us by Paul to be the depositor, the interest that is given to us. Isn't that interesting? The interest. It's like you go and you put your money in the bank and say, don't give me any interest. I don't want no interest. Just, yeah, you can take out of it if you want, but, you know. Instead of going, says, God, I want all the interest I can, man. Don't give me 1%, you know. Give me 100%. I want, I want increase. Give me increase of the Spirit in my life. And that's what he wants, this desire to rise up. And so we must be quick to repent when we walk in the flesh. And you know what that means? You're at work <clears throat> and you see the flesh come out of you, right? Work can bring out a whole lot of flesh because we start thinking in a particular way and, and then something interrupts it and all of a sudden this flesh that's been lying there all the time just decides it's going to rise up. Good place to rise up. And so you go, oh God, man, that was terrible. What do you do? Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me. Help me. Now, you know, with the very cry of help, the help has already come. It may not mean that that's all gone out of your life. It does mean you're in the process of overcoming. And down the road, you'll overcome more and more. You'll find that less and less in your life because you're starting to learn how to walk in the Spirit. You're starting to learn how to crucify your sinful nature. You're starting to put those things down and say, I want to be ruled by the Spirit. I want the wonderful fruit of the Spirit in my life manifested in every situation of my life. When I fail, God, I want that out of my life quick. I'm tired of me. I'm tired of me, God. And so we must also 
This is important. I want you to understand this. We must also be quick to accept forgiveness by faith. I'm just saying this out of, out of all honesty, okay? Just, and this isn't trying to be mean. This is trying to really deal with us where we're at in this real world. Some of you have a terrible time accepting God's forgiveness. You know what that is? A work of the flesh. An expression of unbelief. Right? It's what it is. I mean, either God is true to his promises or he's a liar. If he says he forgives when we repent, then what does he do? He forgives. Our responsibility is to accept. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to necessarily feel like it. And I'll guarantee you the devil doesn't want you to feel like it. So he's going to sit on your shoulder, whisper in your ear how bad and a terrible person you are, and you don't deserve to be forgiven. And you know what? He's absolutely right. You don't deserve to be forgiven. But you aren't forgiven because you deserve it. You're forgiven because God is good and merciful and kind. And you cried out in faith saying, God, forgive me. And God says, I forgive you. And then that devil's still there trying to say, oh, you're not forgiven. Oh, look at this. You listen to him, you'll operate in the flesh. So you have to put him down. How do you put him down? Well, he does not like worship. Right? He doesn't like us worshiping God. He doesn't like us praising Him. He doesn't like us praying. He doesn't like us adoring Him. He doesn't like us thinking and meditating on the Word of God. And so what it is, you get your mind off of you. That's the problem of the flesh life, right? It's all about me. You get your mind off of you. Your problems, your issues, your needs, all this other stuff, you get your minds off of you, and you begin to put your mind, fix your eyes on a beautiful, wonderful Savior. There's going to be times that that struggle to get your eyes off of you onto Him is going to be terrible. It's going to be fierce. But I guarantee each battle you fight and each time you overcome, it's worth it. And so we must be quick to accept forgiveness. Don't let the devil have authority over your life. Don't let the devil have authority. You understand, when you sit there and you let the devil beat you up, and you are unwilling to accept by faith the promise of God, you've just given authority to the devil over your life. I'm not saying you're possessed or anything else. That's not what it is. But you have just basically went and said, okay, devil, talk in my ear for the next hour or two. Right? I mean, we've all done it. But we have to come to the place to begin to say, no, I am sick of this. I'm tired of this. It's time to fight. And the fight is through praise and so on. I just said it. It's not, you don't put on the boxing gloves. It doesn't work with the devil. But I'll tell you what, you begin to adore an all-powerful God and you've got an ally that's unstoppable. Here is, with all this, the necessity of living the crucified life. You know, you're not going to walk in the Spirit unless you're willing to, to crucify your sinful nature. It's just the reality of it. I'm not going to dwell on that, but that is so important. You have to want to die to those things. What do you have to die to? Now, I do not have to die to eating Brussels sprouts. I hate them. Right? Asparagus, never on my plate. Okay? Hate it. All right? You don't die to something you hate. You die to something you love. That's why it's a battle. Our natural man, our sinful nature, loves evil. It loves what is wrong. It is, it, it is desiring it, lusting after, wanting it. So we have to crucify that which we are prone to love that is wicked and sinful and selfish. That's where the battle is. 
And the only way we can do it is we have to have a better love. Or we have to have a love for Jesus that is strong enough, that is hot enough, that will make us to be people. Says, I do not want these wicked loves in my heart. I want one love to define me. This beautiful, perfect, holy love of God. See, that's what He wants in our life. And so, to live the crucified life, it can only be done through the Spirit. How about that? <laughs> Man, we want to move him out of the whole picture. So we speak of the crucified life without the Holy Spirit. Guess what? You've only have half the story then. Only half the story. Because we have to become people that are dependent upon the Spirit, wanting the victory that He gives. And so in verse 24, Paul said, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with His passions and desires. They have crucified it. They are crucifying. They're in the process of doing this because they have found a better love. So the battle that we have with all this, the crucified life, this whole thing of wanting to operate in the Spirit is going to be a battle that takes place in our mind and our thought life. Alright? So conquer the mind, you conquer the heart. They're so interwoven with each other, you can't have one without the other. If the heart's going in one direction, so is the mind. If the mind's going in one direction, so is the heart. You can't have them going two different directions. So where our mind is is where our heart is. That's the scary thing. But when we see the reality of where our, our, our mind is going, we have to deal with the reality of the corruption of our own heart. And we have to say, God, conquer this. Conquer this. And so we're told a very common section of verse here. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So, living the crucified life, an integral part of that is bringing our thought life under control. Well, what's happened for all of our life? Without Christ, our mind was under the rule of hell. We come to Christ, but our mind had been trained to think in a particular way, to respond in a particular way, and then we have this sinful nature that just adds to it. We have this battle trying to think differently. Still going on today. I don't think like I did 49 years ago when I was in the world. Not 48 years ago when I just came to Christ. I think very differently today than when I did back then. Even 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. You understand this change should be going on more and more in our life, that we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And I think the work can take place faster if we would understand it and embrace it and seek after it. I think that's, that's why this message is so important, because we need to become uh, proactive with this, not reactive as what we so often are. And so here's this battle, that we're to demolish strongholds, these thoughts, these things that come in our mind. And like I said, how do we deal with them? Through fixing our mind on Christ and all the various ways that I shared, that we fix our minds upon what is above, not what is on this earth, not what is natural, not what comes out of our flesh life. And you can try and take your mind that is thinking fleshly thoughts and you try to grab hold of it and pull it over to think about the spiritual things and it can be a fight as you're doing it. You think a moment for, for, for what is good and it's pulled back over. But you keep fighting and eventually you're going to rip that out of the devil's hand. You're going to eventually bring your thoughts where it should be. And so Jesus must become the consuming passion of our thoughts. 
must become the consuming passion. He can't be an addition to your life. If you want an addition, you're missing all of what the Christian life is about then. He must be the consuming passion of our life. And like I said, there's, there's tremendous victory in overcoming the way that we think through praise and prayer and meditation of the Word and worship. I mean, that we put our minds in a place that is right. And you know what? You can put on the Bible and listen to the Bible, and your mind can be going in the wrong direction. Well, that means you've got to grab hold of your mind. You've got to force it. It's a battle. It's the reality of it. And because you are being tempted does not mean you are not walking in the Spirit. Nobody walked in the Spirit more than Jesus. God incarnate. And he dealt with the devil. Forty days of temptation. I can't imagine what that was. We're only told the last three, three battles that he had. We're not told what went on the other 39 days. So it must be a consuming passion in our life. You know, here's this wonderful promise that's in the Old Testament. I believe it was good back then, but how much more would it be true today? Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. You'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The fear is gone when we fix our minds on him. You understand, fear is a work of the flesh. And so we overcome fear by what? Putting our minds upon Christ thinking on Christ, dwelling upon Him, Him becoming the most important thing in our life where we do not want to give place to the devil, don't want to give place to fear and anxiety and all the other things. So we fix our minds on Him who is absolute victor and rest in His victory. There's only one right motivation to walk in the Spirit. And this is where I'll be closing with you. And that's to love Jesus more than sin, self, and life itself. It has to be. Without this love of Christ, we are not going to want to fight. We're not going to want to deal with this. We're not going to want to learn how to begin to walk in the Spirit more and more, how to begin to be in this place where He is the definer of our life, of our thoughts, of our words. And we're not going to want to take the path of repentance that's necessary, going to be an integral part of this. You see, we have to have a better love. That's the only way we will take the journey, that we will take the path. It's the only way that we'll do it. And so Paul told us in verses 25 and 26, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Okay, if you're going to live by the Spirit, you have to keep in step with the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? You just, you have to stay right next to Him. Well, what's the whole idea? You know, that the Holy Spirit was going to be our counselor. He was going to be our comforter. The idea is that He would come alongside of us, that He would dwell in us, but become alongside of us to help lead us and guide us upon the path. We must become people that are in step with the Spirit. Not going, says, okay, you go down that way. I'm tired right now. I'm just going to check out in the flesh for a while. We have to go and say, I want to keep in step with you because it's in step with the Spirit that we walk in the victory, that we walk in the joy, that we have the power of God in a greater way. And as Pastor Jeff brought out, if we want to be a people that walk in the power of God, it's not going to happen apart from walking in the Spirit. Those two are too interwoven with each other. He's not going to trust us with the power of the Spirit unless we become trustable people that are walking in the Spirit and learning how to operate in the Spirit. And so here he wants us to have the motivation of a longing desire to please him. A longing desire just to want to bring joy to his heart. Deliver, walk in the Spirit is to dwell in this place of unbroken fellowship. Now, that's what heaven's all about, right? 
That's what heaven is all about. You know, walking with Jesus in unbroken fellowship. Nothing ever again. I ache for heaven. I ache for it. Because I'm so weary of me. I'm so weary of self. I'm so weary of breaking the heart of God when I sin. I want this life that brings joy to Him. And I can't wait for the day where I break through the, 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 this veil of flesh and enter into the spiritual realm. And then that perfection comes upon me. Never more to break the heart of God. But I am to be in pursuit of that right now. It is to be the desire of my heart and my life right now. And so he wants us to walk in unbroken fellowship. Why? Because he needs us? No. Because he knows that what we need more than anything is himself. So he comes to us to give us himself. And he says, son, daughter, this is what you need more than anything. This is what you need. This is what you've been aching for and not understanding. We should become a people that are defined by the Spirit of God, defined by the presence of God. Father, we come before you now in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Lord, you're the convincer. I'm only the messenger. But Lord, I'm asking that this truth would penetrate our hearts. That it would cause the saints not just to leave the church today and say, oh, nice message. But Lord, their hearts would be challenged. That it would bring change to them. That there'd be a cry that would rise up. God, I don't even understand what that preacher was saying, but I know he's right. And that the cry would begin in their own hearts, saying, God, teach me how to walk in the Spirit. Teach me how to put down the works of the flesh. That the cry would be the the purposeful plan that every day they would wake with that prayer in their heart, in their mind, on their lips. And throughout the day it would become the prayer of their life. And when they lay down at night it would become the prayer of their life. And when they have their prayer time every day that it would become something that's integral to their time of prayer. This yearning desire to walk near and near and near to you by walking in the Spirit. And God, we can't walk in the Spirit without the Holy Spirit. But we need to become people that are dependent upon you, people that are aching for you, yearning for you, sweet spirit. So God, awaken this in us. Convince us of this, O God. Lord, the end time army that you are wanting to raise up, I do not believe are people just that are naturally living out the faith, which is impossible. But people that supernaturally are living what is impossible that are bearing the fruit of the Spirit and beginning to operate in the power of God. Lord, because if there was ever a time that was necessary for us to walk in the Spirit, it is in these times, in these wicked days, in this wicked culture that is so sensual, so filled with temptation beyond anything that any culture in the world has ever had. Lord, we can only stand by grace through the power of the Spirit of God. Take us there, O God. 